King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's choice, oh bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, oh hear me? Isn't there like 10 more verses here? Time's going really fast for me. But good morning. Welcome. My name is Robert Nevis. I am a ruling elder here. And as the pulpit committee is looking for a pastor, uh, it's my turn to come up here and help out. And so I'm excited about it. I could tell you it it, uh, was kind of fun. I got to buy a new Bible with a larger print. I got new glasses that I could actually read, right? And so I appreciate you being here this morning. So um, what we're going to talk about today is in Luke, a continuation of what we've been hearing for the last couple weeks. And what I want you to get out of this is a couple of things. One, Jesus came and made his announcement on who he is as a king and as a Messiah. Two, He's rejected. He was rejected at that time, but I would contend that he's rejected today. But three, most important, this word is written for you. As we go through these scriptures, I want to see how you are part of all of this. So many of you guys probably don't know or have never heard of an individual by the name of Del Enos. He grew up in Philadelphia was a great baseball player, became a major league player. This was like in 1946. He was the hometown boy, the hometown hero. And he played for Philadelphia. He played for them for 11 years. I think his uh, total span was like 17 years of professional baseball. But what's amazing, even though he had 288 home runs and he was one of their best players, The Philadelphia Phillies, every time he came to bat, he was booed. No one understood why. He didn't understand why, but he was booed. He was booed because they were expecting more of him. They were expecting a lot more for him. Maybe they were putting a whole world championship on his shoulders. But he didn't understand, and he finally left. He left the Cardinals and some other teams where he was appreciated and really fulfilled his career as a great ball player. But what we'll read today is that's what's exactly happened to Christ, Jesus. He came to his hometown where where he was raised, where he was born. He knew everybody, but he was rejected. He was booed. So let's stand together as we read the scriptures, as Jesus did. So I believe in your uh, Bibles there in the chairs, it's uh, page 558. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. 
And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went up to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here for your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, where the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Zidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're with us, and we thank you that you're among us. And I ask this morning that the word that we are reading and studying will fall on our hearts and our ears and our minds, that we'll be able to hear what you have to say and teach us. So please be with us this morning in this glorious day. Amen. Please be seated. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away from the podium. So we'll see how this goes here. So first off, as, as we remember in our previous studies, Christ was baptized with the Holy Spirit. As he was baptized with the Holy Spirit, we just read that he was tempted by Satan himself. So Jesus himself with the Holy Spirit was in battle, in defense with Satan. That went 40 days, Christ prevailed, but now He's on the offense. With the Holy Spirit, he's out here to come and teach the great word to everybody. So he was making his way back to Nazareth, but on the way, he did a lot of wonderful things. He was able to turn water into wine. He spoke to Nicodemus about being reborn. He threw the money changers out of the temple he was in all the synagogues teaching a lot of people. He was doing great things, and the, and the rumors and the word spread all out amongst the land that he was coming, and what a great thing he was doing. 
So as he came to Nazareth, where he was brought up, and here I'll do a little sidebar, because what I try to do is I like to visualize myself there at the time, what's happening. So he came back to Nazareth. Everybody knew him. He's a hometown boy. But I always wonder what it was like being at church when Jesus was at church. Did anybody bring Cheerios to keep him quiet? Did he have a little tab to write on? But I'm sure he was attentive. I'm sure he was listening. And he was probably even helping to teach. But as a young kid, could you imagine parents saying, Mary, Joseph, how, how, would you, how are you doing it? How, how do you keep this young man so quiet? And all the parents, I'm sure, are saying, hey, you need to be just like Jesus. But isn't that true today? Little did they know. So he came up and he went there to the synagogue. And he stood up to read. And the scroll from the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So there's a lot of commentary on, was that just the reading for that day? Was that what was scheduled for him to teach that day? No, I don't believe that. Jesus made his journey through to Nazareth because he knew on this day he'll be reading this specific verse from Isaiah. It wasn't by chance. It wasn't an accident. He was there to proclaim who he was. But he went there. And he stood up and he read, I am the anointed. Right? So I imagine if we're sitting there, the people in the congregation are like, you know, he was speaking about the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. But did he just, did he just say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me? So I'm sure half of the congregation was Struggling with that. Their mind wasn't focused on what he was teaching. They were more focused on who he was. Wasn't he just a carpenter? Wasn't he just the guy, the kid that hung around? I mean, could you imagine? Well, I imagine. If some people who knew me in high school or middle school and said, Hey, uh, Robert, you're, uh, or Bobby, you're up there uh, preaching, but weren't you the guy who didn't study, was always out playing? I'm sure that would have happened. So anyways, he, he took what he read. He took the scroll. He gave it back, and he sat down. Right, so he sat down just in front of everybody, and they're looking at him, and he's still teaching. He's talking about the poor, and everybody's like, man, that's wonderful. He's talking about the poor because, boy, here at this time, there's a lot of poor people without food. They're constantly praying for their daily bread. People don't go without food forever, but they are poor. And so people there listening are like, wow, that, that's great that he's saying those good, those good words. They were under Roman, the Roman authorities. They were captive. Hey, that's great. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's talking about that we should be uh, liberated as captives from our captives. We know in the, in the Gospels they talk about the blind that were healed, that all of a sudden they could see. And the oppressed, those that are treated poorly, the widows, the servants, the slaves. Well, that, that's great. We're great that he's talking about that. But, but didn't he say... 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then Christ says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So they were, they were all excited about what he was talking about. Wow, taking care of the poor, the blind, the oppressed. But now he's saying the scripture is fulfilled. Remember, Isaiah was written 700 years approximately before Christ. This chapter of Isaiah was about proclaiming that the Messiah was coming and who it's going to be. And here Jesus, the guy who was just a kid in our service, the carpenter, is claiming it's him. So Jesus knew this was going to happen. He came back to Nazareth at this exact time. Do you ever wonder why specific scriptures, stories are in the Bible? It's in there because it it replicates us. So he knew that he was going to be doubted. So they were talking about this proverb about the physician, heal yourself. So pretty much what they were saying is, hey, wait a minute. We heard about all these wonderful miracles or magic, things that you are doing outside of Nazareth. We, we want to see you do that here. That's what we came to see. We didn't hear, come here to hear you proclaiming yourself as the Messiah. But what about all those great things that you were doing? So what they were saying here, as a physician, you need to take care of yourself first before you go out and help another people. It's almost like in Matthew when he talks about before you're out helping other people, you might want to make sure you don't have a big stick or log in your own eye before you start calling other people where they're wrong or what they need to be doing in their lives. So they wanted to see all these great events, and he knew that wasn't going to happen. And he says again, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own hometown. It's just like that baseball player I talked about. He knew coming there that he was going to get rejected. But it's in here. It's in Scripture. Why? Why is it in here? Because this was the first part of his ministry where rejection starts and it completes all the way at the end during the resurrection when he's put on the cross. Rejection continues from this point on. And the point is, rejection happens today. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So then he goes back, and Jesus is referring back to 1 Kings uh, chapter 17 and 18. And if you haven't read that, it's a wonderful read. I enjoyed it just for the fact that King Ahab in Scripture is declared in Scripture to be the worst king of all. He worshipped other gods. He married outside the church. He was the worst. It says that in the Scripture. So Elijah came and told him, hey, there's going to be phantom for three and a half years. Drought. You will have nothing. Also, they were talking about the lepers. But why is God talking about this? Why is Jesus mentioning these two specific stories from 1 Kings. One, 
that God is going to send his trusted agents where he needs them. He sent the prophets not to Israel, to the Jews during this phantom, uh, phantom, or excuse me there. He sent them to the Gentiles. When they talk about Naaman, he was a Gentile. So God was making the point, or Christ was making the point, that God's going to send him where he needs to be, and it's not just to Israel. It's for everybody. So as people heard that, they're irate because they're the chosen people. How come he didn't send them to us? They already knew what was written, but they were in denial. They didn't want to hear it, so they got angry. So they're angry because he was claiming to be the Messiah, and two, that, that God is also loving the Gentiles, it's just not the chosen people. So when they heard these things, they, got, they were filled with wrath. They rose up out of the town and bottomed to the hill in Nazareth. I've never been to the promised land, and someday, Lord willing, I hope I do. But I had to go look it up, right? What is this hill? Well, it's there, uh, Mount Precip- Precipice, I believe it is. It's 1,000 feet. There's a cliff, and back then... They would throw people off the cliff head first. That's what their plan was for their hometown boy. They wanted to throw him off the cliff because they didn't believe him. They were angry with him. Throw him to his death. But it says in one little sentence, but passing through their midst, he went away. Even though when we read scriptures, we could read through that really quick. They were going to kill Jesus, but it wasn't his time. It wasn't his time for that. I want you to go to um, Isaiah. Isaiah's in, I think, in your books, for pages 401. Because there's some things in here that I want you to really see. When you read this scripture, you'll see that Jesus didn't read all of, of, of verse 1 and 2. He only read half of it. So why did he only read half of it? So let's read this again. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to those who are bound. And then we go to 2. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who, who mourn. Jesus stopped at Lord's favor. So what was that? Well, the Lord's favor is just another way saying of the year of Jubilee. If you remember in the Old Testament, they spoke a lot about those who were captives, those who were slaves, those who were in debt. They could never get out of it. But every 50 years, and that's a long time, every 50 years, all debts, all slavery, slaves were set free, were set free. But in this verse, what God is pointing out is that he's the eternal jubilee. 
He has come to save you and I. Because when you look at this, the truth is, we are the poor. Not materially. We're poor spirit. We live in a world where we allow ourselves to be consumed by others. We're the ones he came to save. We're poor. We're the ones that are brokenhearted. We heard that this morning in the prayer. I know everybody's been through brokenness. There's a blessingness in brokenness. But it's only a blessing when you see God's hand in it. And it's hard to get through those when we do it on our own. We are captives. We are captives to our own sin. All of us. Who do you worship? The God of convenience? The God of money? Where does your heart take you? It's our sin. That's why God came and Jesus came to save us. We are captives by our own sin. We're blind. We don't see God's blessings. We don't see his creation. We want to see the world through our own eyes. We want to describe and see God on who we want him to be. We don't want him to be the God of Scripture. That's what we do in our own hearts. But he came. It's us that God is talking about right here. But when you were there with Jesus, you were just thinking of the material stuff. You were thinking about the poor just down the street. They were in denial of who they were when they were sitting there on that sermon in that synagogue that day. But again, why did Jesus not read the rest of that second um, paragraph? The vengeance of God. Well, it wasn't his time. Jesus came, as it says in John 3.17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He's there to save. He came to save. We didn't get to see the big miracle that everybody wanted to look and see. The biggest one was him being raised from the dead off the cross. What a miracle. The biggest miracle of all, because that's for you and us today. So Jesus is the eternal jubilee. He came to teach us, to comfort us, to guide us more to him, to set the path in motion that we could be free. But just as the people there in the synagogue got so mad and rose up and took him to the hill to kill him, they rejected him. And so we need to ask ourselves, do you reject or accept Christ as your Savior? How, how in today's world do we reject him? Do we truly see him as the Son of God? Do we truly see him as the Messiah who gave his life for you? Or do we just see him as a great teacher? Somebody, a good guy, he's a good carpenter, great to the neighbors, just a nice guy. 
Do you see him as your savior? The other way we, we reject Jesus is the cares of the world. Right? In our own lives. We'll put other things in front of Christ. And I know we all struggle with that. We all have debt. We all have work. We're all in wonderful marriages. We all have wonderful kids. Everything can be a challenge. But we choose to deal with that stuff on our own and not through Christ. If we would put Christ in all of that, and it's not easy because we're easily distracted, we're easily tempted, maybe our lives would be a little bit better. But when we put our focus on those events, we reject Christ. The other thing that we do to reject him is that we love darkness. We love doing our sin. We love doing it in dark places where nobody else knows, where no one else sees. We love darkness. And as we continue to dwell in darkness and not let the light in from Christ himself, again, we're captives and we're slaves. But the other part is, in rejecting Christ is that we don't know him. We as Christians, we claim to know him. But do we know him? Do we stop praying? Do we stop reading scripture? What about our neighbors? What about the people we work with, the people that actually don't know who he is? When we don't acknowledge who he is or seek him or want to understand who he is and what he's really done for us, we're rejecting him. So even though he's not here, we want to throw him off a cliff, we're doing the same when we turn our hearts away from who he is and what he's done for us. So what should we be doing? Right? God came, Jesus Christ came, to reverse the effects of sin, to take us away from our poverty, from our, from our imprisonment, our blindness, and our oppression. So he has set into motion, through his death, the blood on the cross, to set us free. Do you believe Jesus today? Do you believe that he is the long-awaited Messiah? Do you believe he will set you free today? Your choice. But here together as brothers and sisters in his church, we have each other to hold each other accountable, to learn his word, to help us walk through this path. It's not easy. The gate to heaven is narrow. We often choose the wide path. So I ask you, in your own hearts, do you want to be set free today? So let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us so much that you gave us your son, that he came down from heaven, took on flesh, walked among, among us, lived the difficult challenges, avoided temptation, and he did it all for us. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness because there are times when we choose to reject and turn our backs towards you. We prefer to do our own thing, develop our own paths, decide our own 
outcomes. But Lord, you have a better plan for us. And we know and we give thanks that you're promising us eternal life. Because it's through eternal life, that's how long it's going to take for us to truly understand how wonderful and majestic you are. So I ask that you continue to be with us as a people, as your children, as brothers and sisters, that we would stay in the word, that we would stay in prayer, but that we would seek each other during some of the challenging times when we're poor, when we're brokenhearted, when we feel oppressed, and we have no hope. Lord, please be with this congregation as we prepare for the table to be in relationship with you. In your glorious name we pray, amen.